the church of Jesus Christ is under attack. That means that Grace Community Bible Church is under attack. We are under attack right now as we sit here in this building. How are we under attack, you ask? Who is attacking us? Well, there are two groups of people that are attacking us. And let me call them those outside of our church and those within the church. Those are basically the two groups that are attacking us. And those outside of the church, I could call the state and the culture, the, the, the world system. And, and, and that, that entity is, is doing their best whether they consciously know it or not, it is doing their best to make us conform to unbiblical ways and practices and beliefs. We could just take one. Let's just take the embrace of homosexuality as an acceptable practice. That's just one of them. But we can't we can't conform to that because that would go against God's word. It would not be faithful to his word. We, we, can't, we can't fall prey to that pressure, that attack. There's many more we could mention. It's not just those, though, outside of the church. Sometimes we put on our holy huddle here and everyone out there is bad and evil and we're holy and clean. No. No, it's... it's it's attack within the church. There's so much pressure in the church today to appoint women as pastors of churches. It's not according to God's word, as Timothy has told us. There is so much pressure, perhaps even the stronger pressure that we face as the evangelical church in America is, is the, the, the temptation to conform our lives and our message to the gospel of comfort and ease. Because we should not, we cannot, we will never break the 11th commandment. You know what the 11th commandment is? Thou shalt not suffer. And it's not just those in the church in general. It's those within our church. It, it may be you it may be me, God forbid, apart from his grace. Are you divisive? Are you a gossip? Are you spreading lies? Are you reading motives? If so, you are attacking the church. 
causing division. And these examples that I've just painted very high level here, these examples, and we could, we could spend a whole hour going through examples of how the church is under attack. These examples are all just to say, just to give you a little picture of how the church is under attack. How Grace Community Bible Church is under attack. We are, friends. We are. And I don't want us to be sort of lulled to sleep and to sort of coast. I want us to wake up to what is happening. We need to wake up to what is happening. Thankfully, thankfully, we are not the first church in existence to be under attack. There was another church, and it was the church not in Lakeville. It was a church in an old city that we call Ephesus. Ephesus was under attack, and so Paul knew this, and he wrote this letter to Timothy, who was ministering in Ephesus. So, if you're not there already, please open back with me to 1 Timothy, page 1186. 1 Timothy. And the book of 1 Timothy was written to Timothy... And Timothy was a, he was not the pastor of this church. He was a missionary companion of Paul. He was a co-worker. He was a colleague of the apostle Paul. And he was in Ephesus. And, and Paul wrote to him this letter. And he, and he gave him these instructions. So let's read in the first two verses what Paul says here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is Paul's introduction to this letter to Timothy. And though this book is to Timothy, it is really for the church. For the church in Ephesus, and by extension, for Grace Community Bible Church. And why Paul wrote this letter is he wrote this letter because the church in Ephesus was under attack, primarily from those within, and he wanted Timothy, through Timothy, to call the church back to the fundamentals of the gospel, Back to the fundamentals of what the church should do and what the church should be in the face of attack. And this purpose statement is given for us in chapter 3, verse 14. And this is where we're going to spend the most of our time this morning. Chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. So Paul's not there. He is somewhere else, and he's writing to Timothy in the town of Ephesus. But he says, in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who is revealed in the flesh 
was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I'm so thankful for this letter. So thankful for this letter because though the specifics, and we're going to get into them, though the specifics of the attack are different than what we face today, this letter gives us infallible and eternal truths and principles that, that guide us, that instruct us in the face of the attacks that we're going through right now. And so this is so applicable for us right now. And so let me summarize what, in essence, we are supposed to glean from this book. Here is the theme of this book. Here it is in a nutshell. In the face of, the, of attack, the church of Jesus Christ must be shaped by the gospel. In the face of attack, the church of Jesus Christ must be shaped by the gospel. I don't know if you know a little bit of uh, football history, but I was reading about Vince Lombardi. And, you know, you hear Lombardi because you hear of the Lombardi Trophy. Well, Vince Lombardi was the famous uh, football coach, Hall of Fame football coach, of uh, that football team in Wisconsin. I'm not going to name the name. As a Bears fan, I can't even bring myself to doing that. But that team in Wisconsin, he was their coach for many seasons. And it, it is said that Lombardi had so much success as a coach because he was known for focusing on the fundamentals of the game. I mean, he would go over and over and over again with his team the fundamentals of blocking tackling, hustle, and you know you're watching a football game and they don't do those things and you're like, come on! It's like 101 football, right? And that's what he did with his team. And at one point in his career, he became so frustrated with his team, he literally held up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. (laughs) Okay, 101, this is a football. And in the same way, this is what Paul is doing us. This is the gospel, and this is how the gospel shapes the church. And this is what Paul is calling us to through this book of 1 Timothy. This is a call, brothers and sisters, to us as a church to be shaped by the gospel in the face of attacks from without and Within. And, and so what I want to do with the remainder of our time is I want to unpack this theme, this main argument that I'm trying to make, that the church must be shaped by the gospel. I want to walk through each of these concepts in this main argument. So first, we talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? You know, In the church, in the church at large, there is so much confusion about what the gospel is. There really is. I mean, here are some examples of of things that I have heard of people teaching the gospel. 
The gospel is God through Jesus Christ welcomes you anyhow. The gospel is we live by grace. The gospel is love your neighbor as yourself. None of those things are the gospel. They're not. Thankfully, we have crystal clarity here in this book. In verse 16 of chapter 3, I want you to look at it. This is, this is beautiful. It's probably the first confession written, one of the first confessions at least, written. And it gives us the gospel. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And here it is. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So here's the gospel in a nutshell. Let me go through this and break this down a little bit more. He who was revealed in the flesh. That is an obvious reference to Jesus Christ. To his what? To his incarnation. And so what we have here in this line is we have a statement of the second person of the Trinity assuming flesh. God took on flesh. He became man. He incarnated. He condescended and took on flesh. And without the incarnation, without this truth, there would be no gospel message. There would be no good news that we proclaim. The incarnation of the God-man is fundamental, absolutely fundamental to the gospel we believe and that we proclaim, and that should shape us as a church. And second line, Paul says, is he was vindicated in the Spirit. Now, to vindicate means to be justified or to be declared righteous. And so, why this is so important is because throughout his life, he was born, previous line, right? And then throughout his life, his life was one testimony of righteousness, and, and what happened as a result of his life is that he was vindicated. At what point in his life, God the Father looked at him, and what did he say in Matthew 3.17? He said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So Christ lived this righteous, holy life, and he died a sinless sacrifice on the cross. And then three days later, you know, he was raised from the dead, which proved that he was sinless. That was the final and forever act of his vindication. And this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Christ was declared the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. That's how he was vindicated. By the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness. And then Paul gives us three more lines and you, you wonder, what are these in here for? 
These lines seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. What these lines are doing is they're showing a heavenly and earthly witness to this God-man. To his incarnation. To his life and death and resurrection and ascension. Right? That is what these lines are showing from us. So, he was, first of all, seen by angels. He was observed from the heavenly host in heaven. In heaven. Not just on earth, but in heaven. And not only was Christ's person and work observed, but he was proclaimed among the nations. This gospel message was taken to the world, Paul said. And now, look at, there's an outpost here in Ephesus. And then the global proclamation of Christ was, was believed on in the entire world. And, and these things testify both to Christ. Christ, it, it's a witness to who he was, his person and work. And then finally, Paul says... Christ was, what does he say? He was finally taken up in glory. He ascended to the Father and sits at his right hand. So there you have it, friends. There is the gospel. What is the gospel? We could summarize it in some key words. The incarnation. Christ's person and work. His death and resurrection. And his ascension. And all of that was witnessed in heaven and on earth. The entire world witnessed to Christ. You you can't mistake it. It has been shown to be true. It has been shown to be real. And so you know what this means? The gospel is not about you. It's not about me. The gospel is about Jesus and his person in work. And so both in worship and witness, in teaching and testimony, the church confesses this gospel, this fundamental to the church. But if the church, here's what I want to say, friends. If the church loses this gospel... If the church is not being shaped by this message, the church will die. Grace Community Bible Church will die. Why? Because we will fall prey to the attack. It's very simple. It's very simple. And and I don't know, some of you know me, I love reading about church history, and I was reading about, there's this old church in England, and I love the opportunity to see old church buildings. And at the top of the, 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 the entryway to the church was a sign. And the sign said, we preach Christ crucified. And that sign was there. And what happened is that over time, ivy, you know, picture a beautiful brick building and ivy going. So ivy started to, started to grow and it, and it covered the word crucified. And so now the sign said, we preach Christ and the church didn't think too much of it. Hey, we preach Christ around here. It's fine. Well, over time, 
the ivy grew some more, and, and the ivy covered the word Christ. And so then the sign said, what did it say? We preach. And then a few years later, the church didn't care anything to do about it. And you know what literally happened? The church died. The church closed. It is an image. It is a, it's a vivid picture of what happens when a church loses the gospel. When a church ceases to be shaped by the message of the gospel. So what do I mean by shaped? Like, I don't see that here in this letter. What do you mean by that word? That's the second word that I want to talk about here. I get this word shaped from verse 15. Look at it again with me. Verse 15. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know, and here it is, how one ought to conduct himself. Now that word conduct is a word that refers to the general pattern of one's life. It's your conduct. Right? That's what it is. And it, and, it, and it refers to both what a person believes and how a person lives. All right? So Paul is, is, is saying that I want your conduct to be in line with the gospel. Right? I want our conduct to be in line with the gospel, to be shaped by the gospel. How does, how does the gospel shape you, you wonder? That's why Paul writes this letter. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, I write these things to you. What are these things he's talking about? These things are not just what he's written here a few verses earlier and a few verses later. No, these things are a reference to this entire letter. I've written these things to you, church in Ephesus, so that you will know how you can be shaped by the message of the gospel. And that's what we're going to do as we unpack this letter. We're going to see how the gospel shapes the church in the months to come. Finally, before we end, what do I mean by church? Of course, we're here. We came to church this morning. What do I mean by church? Well, again, so much confusion about church. So much confusion. Is the church a mission board? Nah, not really. I don't think it is. Is the church your favorite discernment blog? Is the church a Bible study where two or three are gathered together? What is the church? What is the church supposed to be? What is the church supposed to do? These are important questions. And there's so much confusion. And over the last 13 years, of, as we have been in existence as a church, people have come through our doors, and they have come to Grace Community Bible Church with a vision of what the church is to be and to do. Oh yeah, they come with this vision. They come with a vision to do this program and that program. They come with a vision that says we need this service and we need that service. They come saying we need to teach against this and against that. What are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be teaching as a church? And this is where this letter is so helpful. So helpful for us right now in the face of attack because this letter shows us how we can be shaped by the gospel this letter like lombardi calls us back to the fundamentals 
And here we begin to start to see what Paul is talking about in what a church is. He uses two words to describe the nature of the church. Did you notice these? Verse 15. I want you to look at them. The first is the word household. So the church, first of all, the church is a household or a family. The church is a household or a family. Verse 15. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in, in what does he call the church? He calls it the household of God. The which is the church of the living God. Now, the word household is used by Paul just a few verses earlier. Look at it. Speaking of elders, chapter 3, verse 4. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. He says, Of an elder, of an overseer, of a pastor, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So the idea here is a family. This is the word household. Now when you think of a family, when you think right now, when you're thinking of a family, many things come to your mind. Some of you grew up in a good family. Some of you have had a good family life. And so when you hear the word family, it conjures up for you good thoughts, good feelings. Some of you, sadly, have not grown up in a good family. Some of you are in a difficult situation in your family life right now. And so when you think about family, it conjures up bad thoughts. I don't want to go there. And if the church is a family, I want nothing to be a part of that. So I want you, I want you to put aside your experience for a moment. I want you to put aside your, your family life, however good or bad or anywhere in between that is. And I want you to think about what comes to your mind when you think of a family. What comes to your mind right now when you think of a family? What words pop in your mind? Love, right? Was that one of them? Love, belonging, being yourself, right? Responsibilities, privileges, happiness, joy, warmth. Those are words that you think about when you think about a family. Now, I want you to take those words and I want you to sort of do a mental transfer to the church because the church, the Christian church, is a family. We are a family. And and that is fundamental to our identity of who we are. I don't think we often think about this, but this is so important to Paul's whole argument in calling the church a household. And it should be important to us. So let me give you two implications of what the church being a family means. Just two implications, and there's so many more. You can think of more. I want you to think of more. First, since the church is a family... Grace Community Bible Church is a family. 
since we are a family, in a family, you know who is in your family and who is not in your family. Right? You, you know. You know Uncle Eddie. Right? You, you know he is in your family whether you want him to be or not. Right? You know who is in your family and who is not. And this is why we have membership at Grace Community Bible Church. It's to know who is in the family and who is not. In a family, what is the tie? The tie is what? Blood, right? You're related by blood. In the Christian family, how are you related? By the Spirit. We're baptized by the Spirit into the church, right? We're related by the Spirit. And so our family gets fleshed out within the church in what we call membership. This is one implication. Here's another implication. Since the church is a family, when you don't show up for a family meal, like Thanksgiving, do you think you'd get a call? If you were invited to Thanksgiving and you just didn't show up, do you think someone would call you? Do you think someone would wonder where you are? I wonder if they're okay. I wonder what happened to them. And so it is with us. Someone doesn't show up at church for a while. Are you going to call them? Are you going to wonder where they are? Are, are you going to care about them to follow up with them? That's what families do. That's how families care. As a part of a family, we show up to our family meetings, to our meals, which is our church services our Sunday services and our prayer meeting and our grace groups, we show up, we show up to the meals to be fed and to have the fellowship and the joy of the family. Think about this church as your family. Think about that. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but I want you to have that mindset because that is fundamentally the nature of the church. The church is a household. And we have to think of ourselves that way in order for us to be shaped by the gospel. Because fundamentally, you know what the gospel does? The gospel is the, is the thing that unites us. Christ unites us together as what? As brothers and sisters in the family. In the family of Jesus Christ, we become brother and sister with one another. So are you viewing Grace Community Bible Church as a family? Or is it just something you go to on Sunday morning, you sort of check off your box, you know, I went to church, I got the message, and now you have no thought for the others during the week. How do you think about the church? Do you think about the church as your family? I want you to do that. I want you to think about the church as a family. Think about how you can implement this idea in your life. And the second main image, not only we are a family, but secondly, Paul tells us we're not only a household, but what are we? We're the household of God, verse 15, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. What this means is that our church and other local churches— uphold, support the truth. We are like a pillar. And so the image here that Paul uses very deliberately, because in Ephesus was the temple of Diana. 
And you don't know what that looks like, but do you know what the United States Supreme Court building looks like? You know, the huge building with those huge Roman columns? That's essentially what this temple looked like. And when the people Ephesus saw that building in town and they saw these big pillars, Paul was saying, church in Ephesus, you need to be like that pillar that upholds that building. And that's what we are as Grace Community Bible Church. We uphold the truth of the gospel. How do we do this? Let me give you seven ways that you can uphold the truth of the gospel. And I'm borrowing these from John MacArthur. First, believe the gospel. This is how you can uphold and support the truth. You believe the truth. Believe the gospel message. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 9, He who hears... Let him hear. That is, let him hear in believing. Have you believed the gospel message? Are you trusting in Jesus' work alone? Because you know what? You can't support the truth if you don't possess the truth. If you're not a believer... If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relation with him. Secondly, not only believe the truth, second, memorize the gospel. Memorize the truth. The psalmist wrote, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Memorize God's word on a daily basis. You know what a great thing would be? Start with your family. Start with your family, your Christian family. Start a memorizing group. I love that. I've been thinking about doing that for several years, and I haven't done it yet. But start a memorizing group. Memorize Scripture. That's how you can support and uphold the truth. Third, meditate on the gospel. Meditate on the truth. Joshua wrote, This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to observe all that is written in it. Meditate on God's word on a, on a regular basis. That's how you can support the truth. That's how you, that's how we can, as Grace Community Bible Church, uphold the truth. Fourth, study the truth. Study it. Paul says to present ourselves as workmen who are not to be ashamed who rightly handle the word of truth. And you know what? We have Bible studies. We have a summer women's Bible study. Join the summer women's Bible study. It's going on right now. Just join. If you haven't been a part, you can join whenever. In the fall, we'll have Bible studies. We'll have grace groups. All opportunities for you to study the truth. Fifth, obey the truth. Obey the truth. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Number six, defend the truth. Defend the gospel. Paul told the Philippians that he was appointed as a defense and confirmation of the gospel. And Peter tells us that we are to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. There are so many good resources now today in our world. Take an apologetics course. Learn how to defend your faith Defend the truth. Defend the gospel. And number seven, how can you uphold or proclaim, or excuse me, that's number seven, proclaim the truth. 
proclaim the truth is how you can uphold and support the truth of the gospel. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. Who are you discipling right now? Who in your life is your disciple? Proclaim the truth of the gospel to them. You see, fundamentally, the church is a family and the church upholds the truth. Let me put it like this. Let me put it like this to make it more memorable. And, and, and you can relate to this. You can understand this. The church, fundamentally, as its identity, as its nature of who it is, the church is both life and truth. It's both what we do and what we believe. It's always both. It's not one or the other. And they are both True and both equal. The church is like a family. That's life. And the church upholds the truth. That's what we believe. This is fundamental to the nature of the church of Jesus Christ. So let me summarize. Let me summarize what I've said. The gospel. What is the gospel? It's the incarnation. It's the life the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's his death. It's his resurrection. It's his ascension. And it's his seating at the right hand. And that has been witnessed and has been received in all of the world. And this good news must shape you and me as the church, both in life and in belief, both in what we who we are and in, in what we do. Brothers and sisters, I have I have felt it in the last in the last month that that just like the church of Ephesus, Grace Community Bible Church is under attack. We really are. And and so I can't think, as, I, as I've been praying, Lord, what am I going to preach next? What are you going to have me to speak about next as I have opportunity? I can't think of a more applicable message for us than this book of 1 Timothy. It, it, is, it is an amazing book, and I can't wait to go through it with you. And, and now more than ever do we need the message of 1 Timothy. Why do I say that? I say that because 13 years ago, this church was born. It's, it's, it seems like it's just been like just yesterday, and it seems like it's been forever ago. <laughs> it's always how it is with everything, right? And, and, and over the years, God has blessed us, and we've had good times. We've had, we've had bad times. And you know what? Two years ago, we made this, this move into this building in which we sit right now. And as we have moved in here, it is almost like, and I've been saying it, I've been saying it, that, that it's almost like we've, we've replanted ourselves. In a lot of ways, we have. We have replanted ourselves, and we are, we are on the cusp of a fresh start. We really are. And so I'm so excited to get into this book of 1 Timothy with you so that we can... We can know how we are to 
how we are to be shaped by the gospel in the face of attack, from the attack outside and the attack inside. Right? Both the attack outside and inside. Right? The, the pressure's on us. I feel pressure. Here's the confession. I feel pressure as one of your pastors almost daily. The pressure to conform. It is so tempting. The road to ease and comfort is so tempting and it is so easy, but we don't want to go there. By God's grace, we want to heed this clarion call of 1 Timothy. By God's grace, we want to be We want to be a church shaped by Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church shaped by him, and we're going to unpack that here in the weeks and months to come. By God's grace, amen? Amen. Let's pray together.